Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME-CE credit. John D. is a 63-year-old engineer who presents with right shoulder pain that's been progressively worsening for over a year. He states it began with pain that would bother him when reaching over his head, but he was able to ignore it for a while. Gradually, the bother is now interrupting his sleep at night. I sleep on my side with my right arm under my pillow, done it all my life. Now it bothers him even when he doesn't try to use the arm. And he comes in today asking for help. Hi, this is Frank Domino. And joining me is Dr. Robert Baldor, professor and the founding chairman from the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, Bay State in Springfield, Massachusetts. Good morning, Bob. Frank, good morning. I am uh, thrilled uh, to be here talking about uh, this topic with you today and looking forward to uh, the latest uh, thoughts about this. Uh, you note this is a, a 63-year-old engineer here with this uh, problem. What I could tell you about a 63-year-old physician who has something similar. So how do we go about <laughs> sorting out his, his shoulder pain? How, how are we going to make this diagnosis? Well, you know, shoulder is one of those joints that you think nature evolved um, just to truly drive us crazy. It's a very complicated joint. And I remember finishing residency and even my first few years in practice, not having a good clue how to evaluate shoulder pain. So we know that most shoulder pain um, that comes on without trauma uh, tends to occur in older adults, those over 50, and they tend to be impingement syndromes. That means they tend to be what we used to call rotator cuff tendinitis or rotator cuff tendon tears. And um, if they occur at a younger age or are associated with trauma, we, we tend to think about derangement of the joint and, and possibly a labral tear um, that, that um, leads to a whole different set of symptoms. So John's um, symptoms sound like he probably has an impingement syndrome. And um, he may have some osteoarthritis of, of the arm. Uh, he may have a labral tear, but, but just based upon his history, I think we can probably lean towards impingement. Doing a quick physical exam, doing a few simple maneuvers um, can, can help further establish that. Um, uh, I think about doing the empty can test and the Hawkins test, and they're, they're relatively predictive in the right, with the right history of, of suggestion of impingement. If you do an apprehension test where the patient feels uncomfortable as, as you bring his arm through range of motion, then you have to worry about the joint being unstable and possibly loss of integrity of the, of the labrum holding the humeral head. Ah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I do find I have pain when I'm lifting the full can. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of... Um, so, but you're talking about labral tears and so on a little bit. I mean, shouldn't I be getting an MRI here to figure out what's going on? Or either a plain x-ray, talk about osteoarthritis. When, when, when should I be doing imaging? Well, I think we're pretty smart uh, healthcare providers. And I think if someone's had trauma or you suspect osteoarthritis, then plain x-rays may make sense. You want to be, be comfortable not missing something like that. 
if someone has a history of a fall on an outstretched arm or a previous dislocation or you know clunking of the arm, whether it's above or, or not uh, with range of motion above your above your head, then I think you know you may need to think about obtaining a, a very special type of MRI to, to evaluate um, uh, the the risk for for uh, shoulder instability. But I will tell you, for the vast majority of people like like our patient today, John, an X-ray is not needed. There's never been any data that shows it's needed. You need to treat this as an impingement syndrome. Uh, because whether or not one of the tendons are torn doesn't really matter in in the management and and outcomes of this condition. Uh, this condition is really common, and so you can go ahead and initiate treatment if you feel comfortable that they have an impingement um, right there, right then, that day in your office, and um, and 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 that that treatment's fairly straightforward. Um, you can do an intraarticular corticosteroid injection or you can do oral NSAIDs. It's one of those two, and you need an aggressive rehab plan. Now, one of the complications of not treating uh, an impingement syndrome, which is probably what we're seeing here with John, is that he's got pain with active range of motion when he tries to move his arm, but you're also we also will find some pain when we try to move his arm around with passive range of motion. And that means he's at risk for what's called adhesive capsulitis. Adhesive capsulitis is when the joint capsule kind of contracts down and limits the range of motion because of pain. And the more you limit it, the more it contracts down. So with this patient, this is gonna be a long haul. You make the diagnosis of adhesive capsulitis or what we used to call frozen shoulder, you and the patient both have to be on board for getting this arm back into a good place. Yeah, that's a good point. I gotta tell you, Frank, I, you know, frozen shoulder, I actually just saw a patient last week because of the pandemic, uh, she's had problems for six months and has been ignoring it. And now I've gotten to the point where she was having trouble just moving her shoulder. Uh, very similar presentation. So when we're at that point, so I hear what you're saying about your standard treatments, but now I'm at the point where it's, just, it's really stiffening up. What's the best treatment then now? Well, for, for patients who have almost no range of motion, sometimes I'll refer them over to our orthopedic friends. They'll, they'll take them to the OR put them under general anesthesia and move the arm through range of motion. And what that'll do is it'll break up some of that adhesiveness and will will decrease the joint contracture. But that's sort of a last resort. Um, this was a, 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 a fascinating study that looked at aggressive use of intraarticular corticosteroids with physical therapy. So they took patients um, and they um, uh, gave them a subacromial corticosteroid injection. Now this is really simple. And for, for those in the audience who don't feel comfortable um, doing them, I urge you to chat with a, a colleague who does do them and learn how to do them because they're very simple. So you do a corticosteroid injection and corticosteroid mixed with some anesthetic like uh, lidocaine. I typically use one milliliter of uh, 40 milligrams per ml of triamcinolone and three mls of 1% of lidocaine. Now, um, that works wonderfully for an impingement syndrome. And when you have adhesive capsulitis, the other thing that you can try and that this study investigated was what if you, you did some uh, distension of the joint capsule? So they compared you know, the, the four millimeters that I just described to adding a couple extra milliliters of saline and slowly injecting, hyper distending the joint capsule. 
And, and they found that it was very effective at treating an adhesive capsulitis. Now, an adhesive capsulitis isn't going to get better with one injection or a couple weeks of PT. The life course of this illness is anywhere from 12 to 18 months. So you may need to repeat an intraarticular joint injection um, at least once or twice throughout the course of their recovery. And they've got to be firmly committed to doing the rehab because the, the muscles of the rotator cuff get very weak from inactivity. And that just makes the pain and the impingement and, and the, the risk for a tear greater. So bottom line here, this was a systematic review. The systematic review found excellent efficacy to the corticosteroid injection with the lidocaine and some additional benefit from the joint distension by adding the extra fluid. But even if you don't add the extra fluid, just doing the joint injection and committing you and the patient to the treatment course, including physical therapy, you will get this condition better without an MRI, without a trip to the OR, and without the risk of needing surgery. Those are all good points. And I think the other part that I heard there, though, is the, the number of months that it takes for these things to resolve. And to me, that's just an important thing to talk to patients. People are looking sort of for, I'm not better next week, you know, and, and letting them know that it's going to take time. Um, so uh, these uh, you point out uh, learning how to do these injections is not that hard. I, I love the, the Internet because you can uh, find uh, video clips that will help to show you what to do if you've done them in the past. And, uh, and that's great. So, so this is really helpful to know. I, I hadn't heard about the, the distension piece uh, with more fluids. So this, that's a use, really useful point as well. Thanks. So I'll, um, I'll post um, on your landing page here uh, a video that was done of my shoulder injection. I needed to make some videos for procedures for learners, and uh, I, I've, I stepped up and volunteered. I assure you that if you don't know how to do this or you don't feel comfortable doing this, two or three tries with a colleague and you'll get it no problem. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Frank. Practice pointer for patients with impingement syndrome and decrease active and passive range of motion, you can diagnose adhesive capsulitis. Be aggressive with use of intraarticular corticosteroid injection and encourage the patient that they're going to probably need uh, a 12-month course of physical therapy to cure this problem. Join us next time when we talk about the best ways to counsel our patients with GERD symptoms. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast and see you next week.